We are in a continuing study of the prophecies of Daniel. I started it last week. I will be on this for about uh, seven weeks or so as we drill down to see what God did with this young man. And as I told you, Daniel was taken out of Israel by the Babylonians as they conquered Israel, taken out as a young teenager, probably 15, 16 years old, and brought, uh, brought, brought, can you hear me better now? Brought uh, to Babylon, uh, where he was put in a position where he became one of the wise men and was educated, and then God used him in a mighty way as he gave one of the great dreams of all time to Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel was used uh, to be the prophet, to be the person who not only was able to tell Nebuchadnezzar exactly what that dream was, which no one else could do, and then interpret the dream. And so that's what Nebuchadnezzar tested him on because he wanted to make sure that, he, that Daniel knew what he was talking about. And so Daniel gives this tremendous interpretation that we studied starting last week. And you know, it's, a, it's an, an enormous gold statue with a head of gold, uh, a breastplate of silver. Uh, as you move down, uh, the statue was uh, brass. As you move further down, the legs were iron. And at the bottom were, were the feet and the ten toes, which were a combination of iron and clay. Uh, and so what was this, what was this dream? Uh, and so as we learned... This was God speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, showing him that God is in control of the world. God controls the world. He moves the chess pieces around of man, but no man is in control. No man is sovereign. And here was Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and Babylon was a world power, a world power. And so he's being taught that each one of these kingdoms will come to an end beginning with the Babylonian. And the Babylonian is, is symbolized as gold for its, uh, its great honor uh, and refinements. You know that the hanging gardens of Babylon were considered one of the great wonders of the ancient world. And, and so I wanted to be able to give you some uh, flesh on the bones of this uh, translation that I did for you last week. And so here it is. Uh, and the thing about Daniel's prophecies, he doesn't tell you specifically what the timelines are. He tells, he tells you that it's going to happen, and now we can look back and we can test the timeline. Well, the Babylonian Empire effectively ran until the year 530 B.C. for a period of 70 years from the time that Daniel was taken captive. After that time, the Babylonians were conquered by the Medes and the Persians, that empire. Now, that empire... Uh, lasted until 330 B.C., which means that it was almost 200 years uh, in, in uh, its life following the Babylonian Empire. The third part of the statue was brass, uh, and this represents the kingdom of Greece. This represents Alexander the Great, uh, and this uh, kingdom ran from the period of time of 330 B.C., to 146 B.C. when Greece was conquered by Rome. The fourth part of the statue now represents the legs, the legs of iron, the, the might of the Roman Empire. Uh, and this kingdom lasted from 146 B.C. 
to 400 A.D. Uh, and so the Roman Empire lasted for, for a long time until it was conquered, overrun by the barbarians. Now, uh, we spoke also about the feet. And I want you to think about this, this great prophecy that God is giving. God is effectively demonstrating the history of the world, what will come. Now, all of this is done about 600 B.C. That's when Daniel is interpreting this. Now we've taken from 600 B.C. to about 500 A.D. or so. It's about a period of 1,000 years that God is proving that these kingdoms come and go. But at the end, God prevails. Now, we spoke about the, the feet and the toes were partly of, of uh, baked clay and partly of iron. Uh, and the, uh, in the translation regarding the dream, uh, it will become a divided kingdom. That's the language that's used. That because it's, it's a combination of clay and iron, it will be brittle, it will come apart, it will not last together. Uh, and so the question now becomes, well, what of that? What is that ten kingdom? What is that, that position? Uh, and the, uh, the phrase in the prophecy refers to the kings, the kings of that period of time. Well, what effectively is taking place there? Well, at one time, theologians thought that that was the old Roman Empire. Uh, effectively, the end of the Roman Empire is those countries in Western Europe divided up. Uh, and then would try to reconfigure themselves again in some confederacy. And in fact, when the uh, European Common Union uh, uh, formed, there were many people who pointed to that and said, that's the beginning of the prophecy of Daniel, the countries that come together. I don't think that's the case myself. And the reason I say that is I think God expects us to interpret the Bible by the Bible. All right? So instead of us going outside of the Scriptures, uh, the question really becomes, well, let's drill down. Let's see if God has spoken about this before. And in fact, God has. Turn to Psalm 83. And this speaks about nations surrounding Israel. And I think that's the key to this. Verse 6. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal, Ammon, and Amalek, Philistia with the people of Tyre, even Assyria has joined them to lend strength to the descendants of Lot. Uh, and so what you see here is you see the fact that these are the countries that hate Israel and are surrounding Israel to destroy them. Uh, look further, go back and look at verse 3. With cunning they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation that the name of Israel be remembered no more. With one mind they plot together, they form an alliance against you. And again, you see the names of the country. So you see uh, a confederacy being formed here by these nations that despise and hate Israel. Uh, I submit to you that in the last days, this is what's going to happen. There will be a conspiracy of nations against Israel. I believe that out of one of these nations, uh, the Antichrist will come, all right? And, and I wanted you to know effectively what are the, what's the modern equivalent of these nations because we're reading these Old Testament names and the question becomes, well, what are they today? And let me give you that. Well, Edom uh, is southern Jordan. The Ishmaelites 
are the Arabs. Moab is central Jordan. Uh, Hagarnes is Egypt. Gebel is Lebanon. Ammon is northern Jordan. Amalek is the Sinai Peninsula. The Philistines are the Gaza Strip. The Tyre is Lebanon. Uh, and Aser is Syria and Iraq. How about that? Does it sound like you're reading from the newspaper today? All of these rogue countries that hate Israel, all of them, I believe, are represented with the ten toes. The ten toes who will form a confederation. They will not be able to stay together, but that will be a confederation that will be used to rise up against Israel. I believe that from one of these countries, one of these countries, uh, the Antichrist will come uh, and, and will be elevated. And so you see this the level of hate now all coming together. God is, is demonstrating this, this uh, passage to you to understand what will happen in the last days. Um, and so Daniel is making the point that each of these kingdoms is in some way inferior to the one before in terms of its uh, glory, but is, is superior to the one before in terms of its strength. Now, the climax of the dream, the single most important part of the dream is the rock that strikes the feet of the statue destroying it. And I want to go back and read that again because this, is, this becomes a key part of understanding this. <clears throat> this is Daniel chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 44. In the time of those kings, and those kings referring now to that confederacy I just gave you, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Now think about how disparate those Middle Eastern countries are, how they can't even agree on anything themselves, and yet at the end days, they will form a confederacy against Israel. How do you like that? They will form a confederacy. All right? And now God is elevating Christ uh, and the kingdom of God. Um, and, and, and now it says here, it will crush, God's kingdom will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. You understand that, that in that dream, he sees a rock cut out of a mountain, and that very rock uh, destroying the statue, all of it, smothering it, breaking it up into pieces, uh, the rock not Born out by human hands. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. And so well, here's the key that you need to understand this. Make no mistake about it. The rock that destroys these kingdoms is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ. It is the elevation of Jesus Christ in this world. When he comes back the second time, he will destroy and uh, rout all the enemies of God. All these confederacies, all of the evil that will come back, God will destroy them. It is the rock. It will be a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Never be destroyed. It will never be set aside. It will live forever as Christ lives forever. This rock is Jesus. Now, this is a key thing for you to understand, all right? 
This is a key thing for you to understand. And it helps you to understand things that Jesus has said in the New Testament. Turn to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 18, or 17, we'll start. Bless, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, uh, we love Peter. Uh, we love our brethren from other denominations that in some ways elevate Peter uh, to a level uh, really above the other apostles. But I want to make sure that you understand something. When Jesus said, and upon this rock, he was not referring to a human being. There is no human being that can be called the rock. And he was very mindful, Jesus was very mindful at the time that he used that phrase, the rock. He was already mindful of Daniel because he cites Daniel at length saying that it was accurate. And he uses that. In fact, the phrase used by Daniel, the son of man, the son of man, is a phrase that Jesus used himself in describing himself 81 times. So if you wonder about the efficacy of Daniel and the prophecy of Daniel, you don't have to go any further than to look at Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to understand the terminology of the rock and how it's used even in the Old Testament. Look at Psalm 118. We prove the Bible through the Bible. 118, verse 22. The stone, now this is a thousand years before Christ will be born. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. You understand what that means? That means as a builder is sitting there trying to select from the quarry uh, the, the key stones, and, and the, this one stone that they're referring to, which is talking about Jesus, was rejected. It was rejected by the religious leaders. They didn't want anything to do with it. But what happens? God takes that rejected stone and he turns that rejected stone into the capstone, effectively the most important stone in the whole building of God's work. And so here you see, a thousand years before Christ, the terminology of effectively the stone. You see? This isn't just made up. This isn't made up. This is interwoven uh, through Scripture. Look now. Also at Matthew 21, Matthew 21, verse 42. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? Now, you see why I, I tell you that we go back and we cite scripture? Because Jesus ties it together. This isn't John Garippa just pulling this out of his head. You're seeing Christ using the Old Testament to prove that God has used him and has called him. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scripture the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and be given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Oh, Lord, what are you saying? He's preaching to the Jews. He's preaching to the religious elite. He's preaching to the scribes and the Pharisees. 
And what he's saying is you've rejected this stone. You have rejected this stone, but God has elevated this stone. And on this stone, those people who deny it, who fight against it, will be crushed. Make no mistake about it, folks. Make no mistake about it. Look also, if you would, to Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28, verse 16. So this is what this is now about 700 years before Christ will be born. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. Aren't you amazed? Seriously, aren't you amazed at how God tells you something over and over and over again? He just doesn't throw you something out in blind faith. He repeats it and repeats it. And he shows you through various prophets, uh, through timelines that, that lapse a thousand years. So make no mistake about it. When Jesus said, upon this rock, this rock is mentioned back a thousand years before and repeated 800 years later, and then 600 years. Uh, and you see it all coming together. Now look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe this stone is precious, uh, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Oh, Lord. I mean, what a powerful presentation here through the scripture of what the rock is about. All of this is the bedrock really, of the prophecy of Daniel. Daniel is, being, is telling Nebuchadnezzar and telling the world and telling you through Scripture. This is the panoply of time. Nations will come. Nations will go. And at the end of time, when the confederacy arises of rogue nations, when they seek finally to destroy Israel, Christ will come back and Jesus Christ will wipe out all the rogue nations. Can I get an amen on this? That's right, folks. We win. Remember that. And so the whole world at the end will be destroyed. Now, listen. This doesn't happen all at once. God's prophecies don't take place in a snap of time. You understand, we, as we study uh, God, we know that a thousand, a thousand years is like a day to God. All right? A thousand years is like a day. So we understand that we don't really have a fix. People ask me, Ooh, do you think we're in the end times? I don't know. Really, anybody that would say that is really guessing. Yes, we understand since the kingdom of Israel was established, that probably was the last building block that had to be made uh, before we see effectively uh, the last days come. But we don't know how long. This is within the, the timeline of God. But we understand these events will happen. The kingdoms of this world will scatter before Christ. God sets up the kingdoms of men, but their strength is given to them by God. Make sure you listen to what I just said. God allows these kingdoms to be set up, 
but their strength is given to them by God. Now, you're Nebuchadnezzar. You have just been given the most powerful dream any human being has ever been given. You have just been told the history of the world as it is and what it will become. Uh, and so now I want you to turn to Nebuchadnezzar's acknowledgement of this, which is Daniel chapter 2, verse 47. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and an incense be presented to him. Can you just imagine? This is the guy who's the king of the most powerful nation in the world. He now throws himself on the floor before Daniel because he's awestruck before, because of what he's heard. Kings don't do this. All right? This is a man that is full of pride. And we're going to talk about that some more. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. So, right there, what do you say? Oh, wow. Nebuchadnezzar has become effectively a Jew. Look at him. Look at his confession. This is amazing. Your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position, lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of, of Babylon. But think about this now. Just think of this meteoric rise, this teenager coming out of Israel. Now he's a ruler over all of, of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. And I told you that when you see the story of the birth of Jesus and the wise men come out of the Middle East, it is these wise men who were taught and nurtured by Daniel. That's how 600 years later they were able to discern the scriptures to know that something miraculous was taking place in Bethlehem because of Daniel who taught them and mentored them. And you see the hand of God going on and on and on in verse 49. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Daniel, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Wow, you go, wow, this is great. The hand of God is great. Uh, the uh, man subjects himself, humbles himself. What a great story. Let's close the Bible right now. Let's put a period there. Isn't this great? Let the music come up. Uh, not so fast. Not so fast, because what you see here is you see the heart of man. And what you see in the heart of man is that great sin pride. It is the single worst sin. It is pride. It is the sin that brought down Lucifer when Lucifer was not content to be the greatest created being of all time, but instead wanted to be God. And I believe he was jealous of Jesus Christ. That's who I believe. Uh, and so you see as a result of that sin, one-third of heaven is dissolved and thrown to the earth as that, as that angelic kingdom is divided up. And so you understand this. And so you see here, you see here now, something evil is going to take place. Uh, and what will take place here uh, is <laughs> effectively Nebuchadnezzar becoming him his own self. Verse Chapter 3, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. This is what he got out of the dream. 
he got that, that image in his mind. Now he says to himself, hey, you know what? I should have the whole thing as gold. Why should I be limited to the head of gold? Why should my kingdom be limited for a time? I will lift myself up. Which is exactly what Lucifer said. All right? And you say to yourself, well, what happened to the guy who's, who threw himself prostrate down? What happened to that guy? That guy had not committed his heart to God. You see what happens? We may have these mo momentary emotional outbursts. And I hate to say this, but sometimes you see this even in crusades. You know, you'll see uh, hundreds upon hundreds of people come down. They're moved by the music. They're moved by the message. But the question begins, are they moved in their heart? Are they saved in their heart? Or is it an emo a momentary emotional expression? And that's what you see here. He wasn't moved to God. Instead, he was moved by the emotion of seeing what God did there. But he had not truly given him his, his heart. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and so on, uh, all of them together, and he sets up this order. Uh, and this is what he says in his order, verse 5. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. All right, there we go. I want you to fall down and worship the gold image. It's the symbol of me. I want everybody, everybody bow down. Well, you see, he had forgotten or hadn't really listened uh, very well to what Daniel said because I want you to turn to Exodus. John, how do you get to Exodus from this? Just go back a few pages. <laughs> Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. The Ten Commandments. You've heard of that. Okay? Verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. And by the way, 